Let's open our Bibles to Hosea, chapter 7, even though we're going to go back and finish up the last couple verses of chapter 6. And while you're turning there, let me tell you a story. Um, When Pastor Chuck was still alive, he did three services on Sunday morning. And then on Sunday evening, for many years, they did 10 chapters a night. Now, I'm telling you that because we're going to do seven chapters tonight. And you think, no way, Jose. But it's, 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 it is going to happen nonetheless. Actually, I think we're finishing early. We'll, we'll have to wait and see. But uh, what we have, as we dive into the latter part of this book, uh, more than any other Old Testament prophet, Hosea's personal experiences uh, illustrate the prophetic story. He lives it out. And if you, if you go back to chapter 1, it sets the, the setting for what this whole book is about. So go back to chapter 1, the first two verses, and it explains the book, the whole, all 14 chapters of the book of Hosea. And I'm going to read verses 1 and 2. The word of the Lord that came to Hosea, the son of Beri, in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, the king of Israel. When the Lord began to speak by Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, Go take yourself a wife of harlotry and children of harlotry. And then he explains the reason, For the land has committed great harlotry by departing from the Lord. Hosea is unique in that he is dramatizing. And we're going to see this in chapter 11, where it calls it, like an allegory, and he's acting this out. And nobody uh, acts it out more in an Old Testament prophet than Hosea. 150 times, there's 150 statements concerning Israel's sin, and of that, half of them deal with idolatry. If I would break this down for you tonight, it's it's really not um, as much as you think because the chapters really aren't all that long. Chapter 6 through 8 is Israel's refusal, continual refusal to repent. I mentioned on Sunday they had 19 kings. The first one was Jeroboam, and they did not have one good king. What we're going to be reading about tonight are about how do you keep them from going down to Jerusalem, because Jerusalem is the place to worship. Well, what they did is they made two calves, and they put one in Bethel and one in Ateldam. And we'll be reading about about that tonight. So chapter 6 to 8 is with these 19 kings, none of them followed the Lord. Every one of them has a statement that they did evil in the sight of the Lord after the sins of their father, Jeroboam. So all 19 of them, not one good one. Don't get this confused. When we say Israel here, we're talking about the 10 northern tribes that split after Solomon was king, and Rehoboam was the first king in what we call Judah. Sometimes Judah is also referred to as Israel. Uh, The ten northern tribes are sometimes referred to as Ephraim, but only because it was the largest tribe, but sometimes it's also called Israel. So we're actually regressing because we just finished Jeremiah, we just finished Ezekiel, which is the judgment of uh, the 70-year captivity um, in Babylon. And after 70 years, then they came back. Chapters 9 through 10 deals with the judgment 
of Israel by God. And this instrument is going to be the Assyrians. They will fall. They will fall in the the year 710 B.C., but 124 years later is when Judah fell to King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. So we're actually, this, this isn't in a chronological order. We're actually going back and now looking at the ten northern tribes. And um, Jeremiah and Ezekiel is all about Judah falling. Then 11 through 14, the last three chapters, deals with the future restoration of Israel's to God. And I have no time to spare, so let's go to chapter 6. And remind you that uh, we left off our verses, our text for last Sunday were verses 4 through 6. So let's pick it up at verse 7 through 11. But like men, they transgressed the covenant. There they uh, dealt treacherously with me. Gilead is a city of evildoers and is defiled with blood. As bands of robbers lie in wait for a man, so the company of priests murder on the way to Shechem. Surely they commit lewdness. I've seen a horrible thing in the house of Israel. There is a harlotry of Ephraim. Okay, now here in two verses, in one verse it says the house of Israel, and then the next verse it says the harlotry of Ephraim. Both of them are referring with another name to the ten northern tribes. Israel is defiled. Also, O Judah, I harvest is appointed for you when I return to captives of my people. All right, so now we dive into chapter 7. And again, this is, if I would sum it up in one word, it would be stubborn. (laughs) Think of people that you're talking to right now that you love very much. And the whole thing that's being played out here is a God who, he, he's, he's, as we're going to read later, his, his heart is ripped out. How can I do this to Ephraim? How can I do this to Israel? The love that I have for you, and my heart is turned upside down for you. But being a loving God, he's also a just God. And um, so with that, no matter how he tries to woo them, uh, they are stubborn. I think the, that's where they get the term stiff-necked. So <laughs> sometimes they're referred to as stiff-necked. And I would sum these chapters up just as seeing Hosea, he was the last prophet to speak to them, but they will not repent. Verse 1. When I would have healed Israel, then the iniquity of Ephraim was uncovered. Notice again that Israel and Ephraim are one and the same. And the wickedness of Samaria, and they have committed fraud. The thief comes in, a band of robbers takes spoil outside. They do not consider in their hearts that I remembered all their wickedness. Now their own deeds have surrounded them, and they are before my face. They make a king glad with their wickedness and princes with their lies. They're all adulterers, like an oven heated by a baker. He ceases stirring the fire after kneading the dough until it is leavened. In the day of our king, princes have made him sick and flamed with wine. He stretched out his hand with scoffers. 
They prepare their heart like an oven while they lie in wait. Their baker sleeps all night, and in the morning he, it burns like a flaming fire. They are all hot like an oven and have devoured their judges. All their kings have fallen. Now, this is the last king, Hoshea. Um, and it is a reference to him here. Uh, being the last of the 19. All of them have fallen. All of them did according to the sins of Jeroboam. There is none among them who calls upon me. Now, remember on Sunday, I said there were 20 kings in the southern two tribes, Judah and Benjamin. And of the 20, there was eight that were good. And um, But now in verse 8, we're back to Ephraim. But Ephraim has mixed himself among the peoples. Ephraim is a cake unturned. Aliens have devoured its strength, but he does not know it. Yes, gray hairs are here and there on him, yet he doesn't know it. And the pride of Israel testifies to his face, but they do not return to the Lord their God, nor seek him for all of this. Ephraim also is a silly dove without sense. I counted 15 mourning doves, which is a type of, of uh, um, dove. And uh, they are dumb <laughs> as dumb can be. And uh, you, if, if there's one in the driveway, they'll watch me get within that close to them. They'll just look at you. And uh, then finally, they, they move at the last minute. And um, I just found it interesting that um, the Lord calls them like, like a silly dove, without sense. Um, having said that, there's birds that have a migration route, um, and um, they, can, they can fly without compass by not being off by one degree, to their breeding grounds from Hawaii to portions of Canada. And um, if you're off one degree, you're going to miss it. But they have this homing device, like a homing pigeon. It's a supernatural gift of God. And some are extremely intelligent, and then you have silly doves. (laughs) They call to Egypt. Why are they silly? They call to Egypt, and they go to Assyria. Now, they, they would have been caught between Assyria and Egypt. Israel's between these two countries. And when they got in trouble, that's who they would look to, one or the other. If Assyria was after them, then they would go to Egypt. If Egypt was after them, then they'd look to Assyria. But what they didn't do is they wouldn't call on the name of the Lord. I can't get sidetracked tonight. But I'm going to anyway. Here's, here's David, my hero. David's greatest sin was not his adulterous affair with Bathsheba and to cover the tracks, kill Uriah the Hittite. The biggest sin that brought the greatest judgment on Israel is right before he died, when he got really old. He ordered his general, I think it was Joab, He said, I want a census taken. I want to know how many fighting men we have in Israel. And Joab said, not a good idea. And they actually argued about it. 
Don't do it, David. And um, David won the argument because he was a king. And so Joab goes out and takes his census. He comes back and he says, this tribe has so many, this tribe has so many, this tribe has so many, this tribe has so many. And as soon as David got the report, it says his heart smote him. And he was convicted. Now, why was he convicted? Because David is always the one that says, don't trust in horses and don't trust in men. Put your trust in the Lord. That he taught his whole life. He exemplified it when he took out um, Goliath. God is my strength. That uncircumcised Philistine is going to be history by the time I'm done with him. And he did exactly that. He, he had courage and he backed it up with faith and he took on a giant. But towards the end, because he did this, and all the people are going, David, you're the guy that's telling us always to trust in the Lord. And now you're looking to put your trust in men. And so he said, I'll give you three choices. Judgment's coming. And the Lord gave him three choices, three months running from his enemies and um, um, a plague upon the people. I can't remember off the top of my head what the third one was. And he said, don't let man do the judging. Lord, I just... you." You, you bring the judgment. So the Lord brought a plague. 70,000 people, that's the whole population of the city of Appleton, Wisconsin, were killed by this plague because of David's lack of faith in what he was talking about. That's what verse, um, where do we live off? Uh, verse 11, Ephraim is a silly dove. They, they go to Egypt, they go to Assyria. No, they're, they're the people of God. They were the ones who were supposed to um, say, we're going to trust in the Lord, and the Lord's going to fight our battles for us. Pastor Chuck always used to say, you can fight your own battles if you want to. But if you do, you'll probably mess things up. Instead of waiting on the Lord and trusting the Lord. Verse 12, wherever they go, I will spread my net on them. I'll bring them down like birds of the air. I will chastise them according to what their congregation has heard. Woe to them, for they have fled from me. Destruction to them, because they have transgressed against me. Though I redeem them, yet they have spoken lies against me. They did not cry out to me with their heart. That's what David, where his failure was while they wailed upon their beds. They assembled together for grain and new wine. They rebelled against me. And though I disciplined and strengthened their arms, uh, yet they devised evil against me. Uh, They returned, but not to the Most High. They are like a deceitful bow. Their princes shall fall by the sword for the cursing of their tongue, uh, this shall be their derision in the land of Egypt. So this first chapter is the Lord saying you're calling out to Assyria, you're calling out to Egypt, you're calling out to everybody except who you should be calling out to. Chapter 8 follows the same theme, willful idolatry. Set the trumpet to your mouth and he shall come like an eagle against the house of the Lord. Because they have transgressed my covenant and rebelled against my law. Israel will cry to me, my God, we know you. Israel has 
cast off the good, and the enemy will pursue him. They set up kings, but not by me. I didn't call this guy to be your king. And we made this, um, we, we went there on Sunday, First Samuel chapter 8, I think it's verse 31, where they wanted to be like other nations. They went through the period of time of the judges, and then they wanted a king, it says, like the other nations. Instead of being separated, and that's what the word church means, church means called out ones. We are separated from the world. Good place for an amen. We're in it, but not of it. And we're to be a light to it. We're the ones who are supposed to be influencing them, not the world influencing us. And they were influenced, and they wanted a king. So they got Saul. Then they had David. Then they had Solomon. And then it all fell apart with the divided kingdom. Um, Verse 4, they set up kings, but not by me. They made princes, and I did not acknowledge it. For their silver and gold, they made idols for themselves that they might be cut off. And here is, they worshiped the Baals. But in order for Jeroboam to keep the people, to go down where they're, according to the word of God, supposed to worship at the temple, and have their, um, um, if you're a Jewish man, uh, you're you're required by law to Remember remember the Passover, um, Pentecost, and Sukkot, once a year. How do you keep them up there if that the word of God says you've got to be in Jerusalem? Well, of all the things to make, what do they make? A calf made out of gold. Sound familiar? You know, the very thing that uh, they worshipped when God was about to give the law on Mount Sinai, Moses comes down, and they're parting around this golden calf. And um, Moses broke the tablets right then and there. Um, After 40 days, I brought back down a second set of commandments. They They had to be made all over again. And so here, the irony of this is just off the charts. Your calf is rejected, O... Samaria, my anger is roused against them. How long will it be until they attain to innocence? For from Israel is even this, a workman made it. Aaron made the first one. Remember Sunday we talked about his terrible excuse? <laughs> Moses says, Aaron, where did this calf come from? I don't know. I, I, people just gave him this gold and I threw it in the fire and pop. Here comes out this golden calf. Worst excuse I've ever heard in my life. But here they are going at it again with the golden calf. But the calf of Samaria shall be broken to pieces. Now, I can't give too much of this away because I sort of like to keep it as a surprise. Um, When we go to Israel at the end of October, the first part of November, uh, we actually visit an A-site. Now, an A-site is a place when you're reading in the Bible that this is actually for sure the spot that this happened. So we know for sure, just within the last 40 years, less than that, 30 years, where one of these golden calves were worshipped. We, we found, that's all I can say, 
<laughs> if I say any more, um, anybody that's going to Israel, uh, they'll have figured it out. And I don't want you to figure it out. I want it to be a surprise when we have our Bible study at an A site. And it's going to be where one of these golden calves was worshipped, where the altar was. Here's a famous verse. They sow the wind and they reap the whirlwind. And, um, you know, we say today, you reap, you reap what you sow. Because you guys are here in Wednesday night Bible study taking in the word of God, uh, that will reap righteousness and brings, it brings us sort of back to what I call true center. We are in the world all week long. And we have our devotional time, but most of us, most of you, are in places where the majority of the people there are non-believers. They look like unbelievers. They sound like unbelievers. And, and, they're, and um, they're just not saved. And they've, the more you live and sow that kind of lifestyle, it's going to come back and bite you eventually someday. Whatever man reaps, whatever man sows, that's going to come back. If you sow the word of God into your life, the Bible says it's going to produce fruit of faith. Faith comes by hearing. Hearing comes by the word of God. So by you guys taking this hour out, thinking that it's not all that important, I can't tell you how important it is. Everything makes sense again. Everything is why it reminds us why we're doing what we're doing. And we have to be equipped it says in Ephesians that some of the gifts were pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints to do the work of ministry. In most denominations and churches, when it comes to doing ministry, we'll say, that's the preacher's job. No, it's not. My job is to teach this book so it equips you so that you can do the work of ministry. You can't go into a war without having your guns loaded or your sword drawn, which is the word of God. You've got to know it really well. Because you're going to run across people that will ask good questions. And hopefully, you're equipped to give good answers. Not a good place for to aim it. But you, there's, this, this, there's only one way it can happen, and it's by going chapter by chapter and verse by verse. Otherwise, you're going to get off track somewhere, somehow. When you study the Bible this way, it will eventually minister to every area of life. No, no exceptions. Every area of life. Once you got God's word down. You sow the wind, you reap the whirlwind. The stalk has no bud. It shall never produce meal. It should produce. Aliens would sw- uh, swallow it up. Israel is swallowed up. Now they're among the Gentiles like a vessel in which there is no pleasure. For they have gone to Assyria, so evidently they're in trouble with Egypt at this time, like a wild donkey alone by itself. Ephraim has hired lovers. And um, I think this is uh, not spiritual fornication. I believe this is literal. That the harlotry that was here Hosea had to marry a prostitute, a harlot. So here's a verse that actually talks about what they call the oldest trade in the world. And they were involved with it, prostitution. 
Although, and uh, that we learned last week, where it gives the reason why Gomer, um, Hosea's wife, did these things. She wanted the, the fine food. She wanted the fine clothes. And um, she did it for that reason. Verse 10. Yes, though they have hired among the nations, now I will gather them, and they shall sorrow a little because of the burden of the king of princes. But Ephraim has made many altars for sin. They have become for him altars for sinning. And I have written for him the great thing of my law. But they were, uh, but they were considered a, a strange thing. For the sacrifices of my offering, they sacrifice flesh and eat it. But the Lord does not accept them, nor will he remember their iniquity and punish their sins. They shall return to Egypt as looking for their help. For Israel has forgotten his maker and has built temples. Judah has also multiplied fortified cities, but I will send fire upon his city and it shall devour his places. So we've just, this is the first third of our Bible study tonight. Chapters 7, 6, 7, and 8 deal with the stubbornness of Israel to repent and come back to the Lord. As we get into now verses 9 and 10, we actually, uh, it's the description of the Lord actually now bringing judgment. Verse 1, do not rejoice, O Israel, with joy like other people's. For you have played the harlot against your God. You have love for reward on every threshing floor. And the threshing floor and the wine press shall not feed them, and the new wine shall fail in her. They shall not dwell in the Lord's land. But Ephraim shall return to Egypt and shall eat unclean things in Assyria. Now, when we were studying Daniel... Daniel chapter 1, when he gets to Babylon, um, they had a three-year training course to help the administration under Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar wanted, wanted the cream of the crop. And so what they were feeding them was the best, the best of the meats, the best of, of the foods, the best of the wines. But to Daniel... And his friends, this was not kosher. They couldn't eat these things because, according to the law, some of it was unclean. And so David taps the guy on his shoulder, the eunuch who's taking care of him, and says, tell you what, make you a deal. Give us veggies for our time. Test us for a period of time, say a week or so, and see if um, we aren't better than in shape than the ones that you're, you're feeding all the good stuff to the to the other men that are there. And he says, okay, we'll try it for a week. And after a week, Daniel and his buddies were in better shape than the other guys, and so he kept feeding them. My point here is they had no respect for what was clean and what was unclean, like, like Daniel. They shall not offer wine offerings to the Lord, nor shall they, their sacrifices be pleasing to him. It shall be like bread of mourners to them 
All who eat it will be defiled, for their bread shall be for their life, and it shall not come into the house of the Lord. What will you do in the appointed day and in the day of the feast of the Lord? For indeed they are gone because of destruction. Egypt will gather them up. Memphis, part of Egypt, shall bury them. Nettles shall possess their valuables of silver. Thorns shall be in their tents. And the days of punishment have come, and the days of recompense have come, and Israel knows. The prophet is a fool. The spiritual man is insane. Because of the greatness of your iniquity and your great enmity, the watchman of Ephraim is with my God, but the prophet is a fowler's snare in all his ways, an enmity in the house of God. It talks about um, coming to a point of crossing the line. And... It says in Romans that that actually happens. Romans chapter 1 says it's possible where you keep hardening your heart to the Lord before you're saved. And um, he keeps being the hound of heaven. He keeps sending people your way and you keep saying no, no, no. And then there's a scripture that says, okay, I will give you over. There comes that, that place that says, if that's what you want, if you're going to make that decision, then there is a line, and boy, I'm glad I'm not God. Uh, not only in that, but when it comes to the age of accountability. When does God decide one day you're responsible for your life, but the day before you're innocent and you're not going to be held accountable? And it's, you know, they say it's 12 or 13. Um, they, they have 13. They celebrate young men. They have a bar mitzvah. And it's, I mean, it is a party when, uh, we, when we visit the Temple Mount. There's always some, somebody having a bar mitzvah because they're celebrating that passage from being a youngster, not held accountable, but now they can study and they're considered a man at the age of, of 13. And it's a big celebration when they cross that line. Um, but there's also the crossing the line in Romans 1 where it says, okay, I'm gonna, if that's what you want, I'll, I'm going to let you go. And that's what they're doing here. They, they become fools. Pu- punishment has come. And uh, verse 9, they are deeply corrupted as in the days of Gibeah. He will remember their iniquity and he will punish their sins. Um, everything matters. And everything counts. Let me say that again. Everything matters and everything counts. Every thought we, we're supposed to bring, the Bible says, every thought that comes into our head, we're supposed to bring it into submission and um, sift it through this book and find out who it is that's talking to us. Sometimes you talk to yourself. Did you ever give yourself a good talking to? I have. I said, Dwight, how many times do I have to talk to you about this? It's not the Lord talking to me or the enemy. I'm giving myself a good talking to. And I said, how many times are you going to, before you learn, blah, 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 blah. So there's times that you do it. Then there's times that the Holy Spirit is speaking to you. And then there's times that the enemy is tempting you. 
We're to bring every thought into subjection to the word of God. We have to have this as the filter. And with this as the filter, we don't act rashly or quickly. We think about it. Patience is one of the the gifts of the Spirit. Being patient, waiting on the Lord. They weren't. And um, picking up verse 10, the judgment of barrenness. Verse 10, I found Israel like grapes in the wilderness. I, I saw your fathers as the first fruits of the fig tree in its first season. But they went to Baal Peor and separated themselves to that shame. They became an abomination like the thing they loved. And as for Ephraim, their glory shall fly away like a bird. No birth, no pregnancy, and no conception. Though they bring up their children, yet I have will bereave them to the last man. Yes, woe to them when I depart from them. Just as I saw Ephraim like Tyre planted in a pleasant place, so Ephraim will bring out its children to the murder. Um, What he's talking about here is the unbelievable cruelty of the Assyrians. And uh, it's going to be expressed a little bit later, so I'll let that go for now. Give them, O Lord, what will you give? Give them a miscarrying womb and dry breast. All their wickedness is in Gilgal. For there I hated them because of the evil of their deeds. I will drive them from my house. I will love them no more. I got that underlined in my Bible, and I think that's one of the scariest verses that could ever be uttered. And yet the Lord said it um, to the church of uh, um, Ephesus in Revelation chapter 2. Um, they didn't lose their first love. They left it. And the Lord said, unless you guys get back to your first love, I'm leaving you. Um, all their princes are rebellious. Ephraim is stricken. The root is dried up. They shall bear no fruit. Yes, were there, they were to bear children, I would kill the beloved fruit of their womb. My God will cast them away because they did not obey him, and they shall be wandering among the nations. Now, this is one of the places where we get the term the wandering Jews. It comes to its full fulfillment when we call what happened in 70 A.D., when Israel was scattered uh, to every part of the world. We call it the dysphoria. They were dispersed. And now just recently, um, like I said, next year, it'll be 70 years since Israel has once again been back in the land. Chapter 10 is also the judgment of destruction and the cruelty of the Assyrian people. Israel empties his vine, he brings forth fruit for himself. According to the multitude of his fruit, he has increased the altars. According to the bounty of his land, they have embellished his sacred pillars. Their heart is divided, uh, for they are held guilty. Now it says in the Proverbs that a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. You know? It says we Revelation, we're to either be hot or cold, but if you're lukewarm... <laughs> he, he wants you one or the other. 
Um, but none of this in-between stuff, a heart that is divided. Now they are held guilty. He will break down their altars. He will ruin their sacred pillars. For now they say we have no king because we did not fear the Lord. And as for a king, what would he do for us? They have spoken words, swearing falsely and making a covenant. Thus judgment springs up like hemlock and the fertiles of the field. The inhabitants of Samaria feel fear because of the calf at Beth-Avon. Now, Beth-Avon is Bethel. When Jacob left and he had his first night where he put, used a rock for a pillow and uh, angels came down and Jacob's ladder, that is called Bethel, and he named it Bethel. And here they have this um, place in Israel's history is a place, one of the places where they have the golden calf. For its people mourn for it, and the, their priests shriek for it, because its glory has departed from it. The idol also shall be carried to Assyria as a present for King Jerob. Ephraim shall receive shame, and Israel shall be ashamed of his own counsel. And as for Samaria, her king is cut off like a twig on the water. And also the high places of Avon, the sin of Israel, shall be destroyed. The thorn and thistle shall grow on their altars. They shall say to the mountains, cover us, and to the hills, fall on us. O Israel, you have sinned from the days of Gibeah. There they stood, the battle in Gibeah against the children of iniquity did not overtake them. When it is my desire, I will chastise them. People shall be gathered against them when I bind them for their two transgressions. Ephraim is a trained heifer that loves to thresh grain. But I have harnessed her neck, and I will make Ephraim pull a plow. Judah shall plow, and Jacob shall break up its clogs. Here's another uh, well-known verse that comes from the book of Hosea. So for, so for yourself in righteousness and reap in mercy. It, it says, break up your fallow ground. Do you realize um, that attending a Bible study can break up fallow ground? And do you realize that if you left enough time go by that your heart could actually become hardened? If you're not having it softened continually by the word of God? So here we're instructed, keep it broken up. You ever try to plant something on hard ground? doesn't work. If we're trying to plant the seed of the word of God in your heart, and your heart is hard, then it needs to be broken up. And this is actually a very one of my favorite verses, break up your fallow ground. question is, how do you go about doing that? By having, the Lord says, I, I, I will allow that person to see me who has a broken and a contrite heart. I'll speak to that person. Jesus said, unless you become like little children, he says you can't enter the kingdom of heaven. You've got to be tender-hearted instead of hard-hearted. And a lot of people are proud and hard-hearted, and their, their ground is not broken up, and it's not prepared to receive the seed of, of God's word. 
So this is a great verse. Break up your fallow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord till he comes and rains righteousness on you. You have plowed wickedness, and that's what they were sowing. You will reap iniquity. You have eaten the fruit of lies because you trusted in your own way, in the multitude of your mighty men. Therefore, tumults shall rise among your people, and your fortresses shall be plundered, as shall man plundered a Beth Arbel in the day of battle. A mother dashes in pieces upon her children. Thus it will be done to you, O Bethel, because of your great wickedness. In the morning the king of Israel shall be cut off utterly. Now this is Hosea telling them exactly what's going to happen to them. They're going to be broken. And just when you think we got your understanding, okay, I see that these, this, <laughs> these chapters about God is going to deal with these guys. They're going to get judged just because of their stubbornness and their sin. And one of the points that I've been trying to make as we've been going through the Old Testament now occurs between chapter 10 uh, verse 15, and chapter 11, verse 1. Because all of a sudden, if I'm just reading this, we read here, when Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I was called my son. If I would just keep on reading it, it might just go over your head. But what we have injected here is a prophecy. And it has nothing to do with the context of what we're talking about here. Well, it does and it doesn't, but it has a a broader and a deeper meaning. Turn to Matthew chapter 2, verse 15. We're going to develop this more fully on Sunday, prophecy in the Old Testament. And unless you go chapter by chapter and verse by verse... When you get to verse, uh, this is the wise men visiting Israel, uh, visiting um, Herod, looking for where the Messiah would be born. And um, an angel appears to Joseph in verse 13 and, and tells him to go to Egypt. And then in verse 15, and he's, they stayed there until Herod was dead that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, that would be Hosea, saying, out of Egypt I have called my son. Now, if, you're just, if you were just sitting down and reading the book of Hosea, and you would, you would probably skip right over that verse, and there the Holy Spirit sneaks it in, and it's going to be a um, part of, uh, there's, In chapter 2 of um, Matthew, there are three Old Testament prophecies. Uh, And what we're reading in verse 1 here is God's love now for Israel. And this is a prophecy concerning the Lord coming back from Egypt, settling in Nazareth, but only after Herod is dead. Now we're going to develop that more and do a sidetrack on uh, prophecies and the importance of studying prophecy of the Old Testament. All right. Um, As they called them, so they went from them. They sacrificed to the the Baals and burned incense to 
carved images. I taught Ephraim how to walk, taking them by the arms. Now, um, to the best of my ability, I'm going to tell you this, but I can't make you feel the emotion that I believe the Lord is trying to express right here. Except remembering, for those of you who remember the very first day that your child walked. So in your mind, just go back to that day. Was that a big event or what? It was a big day, right? Oh, show Daddy. Hey, look, Daddy, he's walking. I mean, it's a major moment. And here, what the Lord is trying to express, well, it reaches its climax in verse 8, taking them in by their arms, but they did not know that I healed them. I drew them with gentle cords, with bands of love, and I was to them as those who take the yoke from their neck. Jesus says, come and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly. Take my yoke upon you. Why? Because it's light. It's not hard. Um, That's the thing I hate about religion. And um, the rules, the sacraments, the things that you must do, and if you don't do them, it's sin. Um, And it's, it's a heavy yoke to bear. And it brings condemnation instead of freedom. But if you take on the Lord's yoke, he says, come and learn of me. What is Jesus really all about? Well, I'm meek and lowly of heart. And if you take my yoke upon you, you'll find peace. Because the volume of the book is all about me. What does that mean? It means the whole Bible is about Jesus. Really? Yeah. Hosea 11, verse 1, is all about Jesus. And it's just tucked in there. And it's not going to be fulfilled for another more than 400 years. I was with them as those who take the yoke on their neck, and I stooped and I fed them. He shall not return to the land of Egypt, but the Assyrians shall be his king because they refuse to repent. And the sword shall slash in his cities, devour his districts, and consume them because of their own counsels. My people are bent on backsliding from me. Three times in the book of Hosea, the word backsliding is mentioned, and this is one of them here. Though they call to the Most High, not at all exalt him. And here's where I see the Lord just pouring out his heart, basically saying, what more could I do? How can I give you up, Ephraim? How can I hand you over, Israel? How can I make you like Adam? How can I set you like Zebulun? My heart churns within me and my sympathy is stirred. I delivered you from the bondage, fed you for 40 years in the wilderness, brought you into the promised land, and set you free. And, um, and now you're going to turn from me? Uh, probably the best way to identify with this on a human level is those of you who have children who are not walking with the Lord. And they were brought up in the Lord. And um, I wish I had time for a divine appointment story. I don't. I'm going to tell it anyway. <laughs> 
You know, we had a kid that grew up here at Calvary Chapel. Some of you have heard this. And he backslid. And it was, this was a couple of years back, and we were having, we were having lunch at Applebee's. And um, I were saying our goodbyes, lunch was over, and, and as I'm leaving, my car went up on the curb, and when it came back down, the wheel fell off. It just fell off. And um, there's this kid looking at me. He's got the same kind of car that I have, a 1996 Ford T-Bird. And um, I walk up to him, and kiddingly, I said, you want to trade cars? <laughs> and he just gave me a dirty look. And so I called Lane, and I, and I said, bring the church truck over. I, I need a ride home. And I had to call the tow truck to get my car fixed. So Lane brings uh, the truck over, turns it off, and gets in his, uh, um, Susie had the car behind him, so he dropped it off. And uh, I go to get in the truck, start it up, won't start. Just won't even turn over. And Lena just dropped it off. And um, by this time, Tim and Mary were with me. And um, I, d- I didn't want them to spend all afternoon at Applebee's parking lot. So I said, you guys go home. And as Mary's getting into the car, she just yells back. She says, Dwight, do you need anything else? And I said, just go home. And uh, so now I need another tow truck to come and pick up this one that won't start. Well, this kid's watching me during this whole time. But when Mary said, Dwight, do you need anything else? He gets out of the car and he he comes and walks in and looks me straight in the eye. He says, are you Dwight Deauville? Are you the pastor at Calvary Chapel? I said, well, yes, I am. He said, well, I grew up at Calvary Chapel. And I've been backslidden for many years. And this week I gave my life back to Jesus. This week. And I looked him in the eyes. And I said, you're the reason my wheel fell off that car. (laughs) The next morning when we got to the church, when they, they towed the truck back here, we had our usual staff meeting on Tuesday morning. I said, before we start this, I called them LG. I said, LG, come on. Let's just go outside. I got, I'm curious about something. Jump in the truck. Cranks right up. Started right up. The, it was, it was a, a divine appointment for this kid. So that's what I told him. Uh, as he was backslidden for so many years, he said, this week I gave my heart back to the Lord. And I said, okay. All this is happening for a reason. And I want you to know that God was listening to what you said when you said you were going to come and give your life back to Jesus. I'm here to tell you that um, everything that you said, he heard, and this is proof of it. And you know it. And he says, I do know it. And um, I wish I could remember his name. I wouldn't, I wouldn't mention his name, but I can't remember it anyway. But um, talk about backsliding, Ephraim sure did. See, I knew if I did that, I would lose my spot. My point, again, was a parent that brings their child up in the Lord and then decides to go and be completely backslidden. It's heart-wrenching. And that's what the Lord is saying here. It's turning my heart. The love that he has for his people is such that they've left him and they've gone 
And like the prodigal son, spent all of his money on on partying and women and, and the whole nine yards. And so this is the heart of God being exposed here. They will walk after, uh, I will not again destroy, no, it says verse 9, I will execute the fierceness of my anger. I will not again destroy Ephraim, for I am God and I'm not a man, the Holy One in your midst that I will not come with terror. They shall walk after the Lord. He will roar like a lion when he roars. Then his sons shall come trembling from the west. And they shall come trembling like a bird from Egypt, like a dove from the land of Assyria. And I will let them dwell in their houses, says the Lord. Ephraim has encompassed me with lies and the house of Israel with deceit. But Judah shall still walks with God, even with the Holy One who is faithful. Now at this time, uh, this is 710 B.C. when they fell, um, Judah was walking with the Lord. These, these would be the two tribes in the south. Chapter 12. Ephraim feeds on the wind and pursues the east wind. He daily increases lies and desolation and also makes a covenant with the Assyrians and oil is carried to Egypt. They also bring a charge against Judah and will punish Jacob according to his ways and according to his deeds he shall recompense him. Uh, on a personal note, in Romans 12, is, or Hebrews 12, it deals with, um, if you're not chastised periodically by the Lord, then he says you're not even a son. Because every born-again Christian that's walking the Lord, when you blow it, the Holy Spirit is right on top of you like any loving father is going to discipline you. And that's what's being said here, that he will bring that discipline. He took his brother, uh, let's just go up to verse 2, the Lord brings a charge against Judah and punishes Jacob according to his ways. According to his deeds, he will recompense him. He took his brother by the heel in the womb, and in his strength he struggled with God. Yes, he struggled with the angel and prevailed. He wept and sought favor uh, from him. He found him in Bethel, and there he spoke to us. That is the Lord of hosts. The Lord is his memorial. So you, by the help of your God, return. Observe mercy and justice and, and wait on your God continually. A cunning Canaanite? Uh, deceitful scales are in his hand. He loves to oppress. And Ephraim said, surely I have become rich and I have found wealth for myself and in my labors. Now there's the last church of Laodicea. That was their attitude. Um, they say, we're rich, we have no need of nothing. And the Lord says, you don't realize that you're poor, blind, and miserable. I have found wealth for myself in my labors. They will find in me no iniquity that is sin. Now this next verse, 9 and 10, are are ones we quoted on Sunday. And um, we'll come again to it this Sunday. But I am the Lord your God. Ever since the land of Egypt, I will make you dwell in tents as in the days of the appointed feast. I have also spoken by the prophets and have multiplied visions 
I have given symbols through the witness of the prophet. That's what the whole book of Hosea is. He's acting out, marrying a prostitute, and it is a symbol. And on Sunday, you'd be surprised how many times in the Old Testament we find the gospel hidden. And you wouldn't, you wouldn't know it unless you have it explained that this is being said in the New Testament to fulfill what was spoken in the scriptures. So a little hint here where we're going on Sunday of, of um, the symbols that actually are all about the Lord. Let's finish this chapter. Though Gilead has idols, surely they are vanity. Though they sacrifice bulls and Gilgal, indeed their altar shall be uh, heaps in the furrows of the field. Jacob fled to the country of Syria. Israel served for a spouse. Well, this is Jacob and Rachel. And, uh, and for a wife, he tended sheep uh, for seven years. And a little hint, this is where we're headed on Sunday. By a prophet, the Lord brought Israel out of Egypt And by a prophet he was preserved. Ephraim provoked him to anger most bitterly. Therefore his Lord will leave on him his blood guilt and return his reproach upon them. Verse 10 is one you want to underline. That God speaks through acting out and nothing exemplifies it better than the book of Hosea. Where you have the whole book again in chapter 1 verses 1 and 2. Hosea, Gomeria, prostitute who already has kids, or one, and then she's going to leave you and play the heart of it again, go after her, and bring her home. And that brings us to the end of verse 12, chapter 13. When Ephraim spoke trembling, he exalted himself in Israel. Now they sin more and more, and they made for themselves molded images, idols of their silver according to their skill, all of it the works of craftsmen. They say of them, let the men who sacrifice kiss the calves. Now here's another reference to the two golden calves, one in Bethel again and one in Tel Dan. Therefore they shall be like the morning cloud and like the early dew that passes away, like chaff blown off from a threshing floor, and like smoke from a chimney. Yes, I am the Lord your God, ever since the land of Egypt. And you shall know no God but me, for there is no Savior besides me. Important verses. There is no other God. The Lord says, I am. There is no other. The Lord says, um, there's no other name under heaven whereby we must be saved. You say, that's awful narrow. Yeah, that's exactly what Jesus said. The way is narrow, and few there be that find it. And then he says, it's also difficult. And as time goes on, there isn't a day that goes by uh, with all the rhetoric in the, in the media, with hate speech and um, not treating everybody equally, um, well, 
because of this Bible study tonight, I'm saying there's only one way you can go to heaven, and that's through Jesus Christ. And by world standards, you know what that makes me? A bigot. And it could land me in jail. Probably someday, one day it will, the way things are going. That's a whole new different study. I knew you in the wilderness in a land of great drought. When they had pastures, they were filled. They were filled and their hearts was exalted. Therefore, they forgot me. David said, Lord, never make me so rich that I would forget you or so poor that I would have to steal. And that's what I see here. They became full and uh, they forgot the Lord. We're, you know, the only thing, in the New Testament, it says we're to warn those who are rich that they don't put their trust in that or let that, just because they are, let them act any differently than, than um, one who isn't. Verse 7, so I will be to them like a lion, like a leopard. By the road I will observe them. I will meet him like a bear deprived of her cubs. I will tear open their rib cages, and I will devour them like a lion. The wild beast shall tear them. O Israel, you are destroyed, but your help is from me. I will be your king, where is any other? That he may save you in all your cities and your judges to whom you said, Give me a king and princes. Now, here's 1 Samuel 8, verse 5 and 6. And this is when they came to to, uh, Samuel and asked for a king. That's the reference here. And I gave you a king in my anger, and I took him away in my wrath. That's a reference to Saul. Um, He allowed him to be king, but because he did not fully obey the Lord, uh, this is where we get the scripture, to obey is is better than sacrifice. And um, Saul made a deal with the Amalekites, instead of utterly destroying them like the Lord told them to. And he took them out in his wrath. And when we go to Israel, we're going to go to Bet Sheen. And Bet Sheen is important in the scriptures is because when they killed Saul, um, they put his body and they nailed it to the walls of Bet Sheen. And it's one of the places that he died on the mountains of Gilboa. But that is, this is... When it says, I took him out in my wrath, um, it was there, the Philistines took him out, and Jonathan, for that matter. Verse 12, the iniquity of Ephraim is bound up, his sin is stored up, the sorrows of a woman in childbirth shall come upon him. He is an unwise son, for he should not stay long where, where children are born. I will ransom them from the power of the grave, I will redeem them from death. O death, I will be your plague. O grave, I will be your destruction. Pity is hidden from my eyes. Uh, Though he is fruitful among his brethren, an east wind will come, and the wind of the Lord shall come up from the wilderness. Then his spring shall become dry, and his fountain shall be dried up. And he shall plunder the treasury of every desirable prize. Samaria is held guilty. For she has rebelled against her God. They shall fall by the sword. Now, here's the brutality. And this was actually what the Assyrians did and why they were so feared. The infants, it's hard to read, but it's true. 
The infants shall be dashed in pieces, and their women with child ripped open. And when the Assyrians came in, this is one of the reasons when we get to uh, the book of Jonah, and the Lord says, Jonah, I want you to go to to Nineveh, Assyria, and I want you to speak to them. He hated them. He didn't want anything to do with them because they were so brutal. And here's one of the reasons Jonah did not want to go to Nineveh. End of chapter 13. O Israel, return to the Lord your God, for you have stumbled because of your iniquity. Take words with you and return to the Lord. Say to him, take away all iniquity. Receive us graciously, for we will offer the sacrifice of our lips. Now cross-reference there is Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15. Assyria shall not save us. We will not ride on horses, nor will we say any more to the work of our hands, you are our gods. For in you, the fatherless finds mercy. I will heal their backsliding and I will love them freely. Now this is all about the future when the Lord once again uh, is with his people. I will heal their backsliding. I will love them freely. For my anger has turned away from him and I will be like dew to Israel and he shall grow like the lily and lengthen his roots like Lebanon. His branches shall spread His beauty shall be like an olive tree and his fragrance like Lebanon. And those who dwell under the shadow shall return and they shall be revived like grain and grow like the vine. Their scent shall be like the wine of Lebanon. As we wind up these last couple verses, he's talking about when they return to the land, they'll never be removed from the land again. But um, this is more of when they're in the kingdom age and the Lord will once again be their God and they will flourish. Um, The curse will be removed from the earth and um, they will be like the Garden of Eden. Ephraim shall say, what have I to do anymore with idols? I have heard and observed him. I'm like a green cypress tree, and your fruit is found in me. I mentioned this on Sunday, that Israel is the fourth largest producer of fruit in the entire world, about the size of New Jersey, but everywhere you go in Israel, fruit trees, everything's watered. They got their irrigation down so good that they can water each individual plant instead of watering the whole field. They have black tubes. And they'll put a hole in it where the plant is, and it just waters that area. And uh, they've even created a tomato that's already salted, so you don't have to salt your tomatoes. What I said is true. The, the guys will explain it to you on the bus. Last verse. Who is wise? Let him understand these things. Who is prudent? Let him know them. For the ways of the Lord are right. The righteous walk in them, but transgressors stumble by them. It's not even five after eight, just for the record. In closing, who is wise? 
What is the whole book of Hosea all about? Break up your fallow ground so that God's word can find a place in it. Don't give up on praying for your loved ones. And with the judgment at the end of it all, God is going to have a remnant. God isn't through with Israel. Yes, they're dispersed, but these 10 tribes are not lost. They show up again in Revelation chapter 7. The book of Hosea, as you're going to see on Sunday, is even more important than you think about it when you start reading scriptures from the New Testament that point us right back to this book. So we have made it through another book, and we will begin the book of Joel next Wednesday. Let's stand and we'll pray. Lord, I don't know how we can miss the message of the book of Hosea. Over and over and over and over You warn that if you sow to the wind, you're going to reap the whirlwind. And what we sow in our life comes back either as good fruit or bad fruit. And we are going to reap what we sow. We see in studying this book, for those who are wise, that we should have a healthy and reverent fear of you. But having said that, you call us your bride. And this whole book of Hosea is a husband and a wife. Lord, help us be that that bride, like the Church of Philadelphia, it's just grateful that we have your word. And um, because we keep your word, your promise to that church is you will keep them from the great tribulation. Lord, we found this golden nugget uh, in Hosea tonight that you were called out of Egypt. Stuck in the middle of all this judgment is a promise of the Messiah. And Lord, we thank you for these hidden treasures in this book. So Lord, as we continue to make our way through your word, uh, help us be wise and, and take these things to heart. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.